everyone, and welcome back to the Finding Strength of Heart podcast. This week, we're jamming out to the good, good life with my friend Damien Horn. I sat down with Damien to talk about how faith and a positive attitude has been pivotal in helping him navigate multiple traumas and how each of those experiences inspired him to craft the good, good life for himself. So we met during your music mafia days. Can you believe that was like 20 years ago? I know. I know. This is literally like the 20 year anniversary, I believe, of it. And it's crazy how it still is on the lips of people in the music scene here, which I feel like is a really cool thing. You know, like people still talk about it and think about how big of an impact it had kind of on this town. The cool thing about those type of shows, it was an experience. It wasn't just a concert and it wasn't just like a songwriter's night. Right. I agree. And it's funny because even since those days, people, self-included, you know, I have tried to duplicate what that was, you know, Mm. but it it was, yeah, it was just something about that. But I I agree with you. I think the experience was a big part of that. Like when people come, they didn't just experience music. There was an experience happening Mm -hmm. at the same time. Absolutely. When did music come into your life? Music came into my life at a really young age. When I was growing up in North Carolina, I remember about around like eight or nine years old writing my first song. And before that even happened, I knew I loved it. I would literally just kind of sit next to a radio all day long and listen to music. It just moved me. And I was like, man, I want to create stuff like this. So at a very young age, I was moved by music. It was a big part of my life. That's awesome. Do you have family members who are also musically inclined? I do. They're all so talented. You know, I have, I have other singers and and writers in my family and artists. I think it's just one of those things that for my family, it was always a big part of our family dynamic, our culture of our family, you know, was always surrounded by music. So everybody, even whether it was something you were super passionate about or not, it was a part of your life, especially like growing up in church and playing instruments and singing and different things like that. I'm going to go back to what you said, uh, writing your first song when you were eight or nine. Do you remember what it was about? Oh, it was about love. It's all I've been writing about ever since. <laughs> Even at, at at eight or nine years old, I wanted to write love songs. And the first song was called like, Just Because, and it was about heartbreak or something like that. Like, what did I- Oh my gosh, at eight? <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. Some girl in preschool probably broke my heart or something. <laughs> That's deep. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, you didn't hear the lyrics, so maybe it wasn't that deep. (laughs) True. (laughs) You took my crayons, and I don't know what I was talking about back then, but I know it was about love. Well, that's awesome. (laughs) I love that. So you've lost two brothers to the streets, and two ended up incarcerated. You recognized at a young age that you didn't want to go down that path. Why was this so important to you? You know, first of all, like you said, just losing people that I I love and care about who are big parts of my life in that fashion was, it was scary for me. I think the first thing it was, it was scary. You know, like when you kind of get introduced to that kind of thing, when you're at a young age, it makes the world seem like a very, very scary place. And I wanted to feel safe. Mm -hmm. I think that's one of our human desires is to feel safe, to have some type of security. And I didn't feel that in parts of my life at a young age because of stuff like that. And so I just knew either that was the way life was going to be or I had to find something different, something that was going to give me security and give hope of something better. So that was like, all right, I got to find this. And, and crazy enough, you know, like I always found that in music, you know, even before those things happened, you know, when I was creating music or listening to music or part of it in any kind of way, I felt safe in that. 
I love that about music. I mean, obviously I love the enjoyment of listening and experiencing music, but the healing powers of music, I think that's my favorite thing. Right. Yeah. And just how powerful it is. Like one song could just be like, oh, that's all the hope I need. That's the confidence I need. I mean, you just never know. No, that's true. And that's kind of like as an artist, it's what my focus has definitely been on this latter part of my career is just like creating music that does that for people because I, I realize how important it is for me. So I, I make the assumption that there's others out there who feel the same way and I want to make that kind of music. Yeah. What are some of the songs from other songwriters and artists that do that for you? Oh, that's a good question. There's so many. There's so many. You know, there, <laughs> there's a lady by the name of Sarah Groves who had a, an album called Conversations and it was just like her conversations to God and like what she was happy about, what she was sad about, what frightened her, what made her happy. Man, that album, like it touched a vulnerable part of me, I think because she was so vulnerable in the album. And then you come across to like an album, like, you know, Miss Education of Lauren Hill, that just kind of speaks uh, her truth in a lot of different ways and things that I connected with. And then I'd go to Fred Hammond's albums across the board. There's so many different albums throughout my life at certain points in times, like really spoke to the situation I was in or what I was dealing with. About how old were you when this stuff started happening to your siblings? And then what were some of the things you did intentionally to make sure you didn't end up on the same path? Well, it really kind of started happening when I was early teenager, around like 13, 14 years old was when my first brother passed away, who was, was killed. And then right around that time, you know, my younger brothers were kind of getting in trouble in the streets. And then I would later lose another one of my older brothers and they would be incarcerated. So it kind of started happening around like my early teenage years. And, you know, one of the big catalysts for me was a Salvation Army Boys and Girls Club. And it wasn't something I necessarily like knew what I was doing or knew it was going to be that impactful. It just was. In the projects where I grew up, there used to be this bus that would come down into the area and pick up all the kids that were just kind of hanging out in the streets there and just whisk them away. And I always imagined they were like going to Disneyland or something. They looked like they were excited to be going wherever they were going. <laughs> and so one day I decided to hop on that bus and figure out where it was headed. You know, I was raised by my mom. She was working all the time. So you kind of left to your own devices. During that time, we called it like the latchkey kid. You have a key kind of on a string around your neck. You tuck it under your shirt. And, you know, when you get home from school, you know what you're supposed to do. Go in the house, you know, do your homework. Don't burn the house down and stay in the house <laughs> right. until I get home. You know, said so that was, the, <laughs> that was <laughs> right. the rule set. You know, so me and my siblings tried to do that. You know, sometimes we did good and sometimes we didn't. But, you know, when I saw this this bus kind of taking these kids off to, you know, this place, I hopped on a bus one day and it went to a, a Salvation Army Boys and Girls Club, you know, and it was just kind of like a safe place. Other kids were there and do homework and stuff. And I could go there and get back before my mom even got home from work. And so that became a place that kind of redirected where I would have probably naturally ended up because of what I was surrounded by. Either you were hanging out in the streets or you would find a place like that to refocus your intentions. That's really amazing. And you have to think too, you were in your early teens, so you're still forming your beliefs about right. life and what you're seeing. And do you want to become part of that? And you all are still just kids, you know, staying home, doing your homework. That's boring. Like, just, <laughs> exactly. You know? Yeah. <laughs> it's so hard to kind of abide by that at that age. You know, you your mind is all over the place, of course, and you want to be into everything. I'm really glad that helped you a lot. Just getting on that bus. Yeah, that's yeah. That's amazing. 
<laughs> was it like Disneyland? I mean, I had never been to Disneyland, but I knew I enjoyed being at the Boys and Girls Club. I, I love basketball. So, you know, and I would see friends there from the neighborhood and from school. Games like pool and foosball and ping pong. To this day is why I'm pretty decent at all those because, you know, I grew up playing those at the Boys and Girls Club. And then it kind of stretched beyond that because it was connected to a Salvation Army church. And then I started attending that church. There were summer camps that, you know, afforded me opportunities that I just wouldn't have got any other kind of way. Going out to camp and learning how to shoot archery and swim and do all kinds of things that kind of people where I come from just didn't have the opportunity to do. So it just kept on expanding. So you mentioned you grew up in North Carolina. You've also lived in LA and of course, Nashville. And you've been on both sides of success and fame at one point being homeless. Talk about your living situation at that time and also your mindset. Well, I guess the first time I was homeless was when I graduated high school. I graduated and then I just knew, like I said, I wanted to get out of North Carolina. I wanted to kind of see the world. And I had already had this thought of taking on the world musically. Like I was going to break into this entertainment industry one way or another. So when I was growing up, the place to go for that was Hollywood. So I just got a one-way Greyhound bus ticket and went to Hollywood, California. I had just turned 18. I got there, had probably about $400 in my pocket and a suitcase. And I I learned really quick that was not enough money to sustain myself in L.A. And I found out, you know, myself homeless there for the next couple of years, really just surviving. You know, it turned from like pursuing a dream to survival. You know, I would sleep out on the beach or I would stay in squats or down at the mission. The Covenant House was a huge help to me during that time. It was a, a shelter that I stayed in for some time. So that was kind of my living situation. But my mental situation at the beginning of that definitely was very strong. You know, there's something to being young and dumb. (laughs) I'm 18 and, you know, like I had all these dreams and hopes of doing things. I hadn't been beaten down by the world. And so you still have these strong thoughts of how things are going to play out, you know, like, oh, it'll be easy. It won't be as hard as, you know, other people say or make it out to be. Then that was kind of a rude awakening, but it was good. Good lesson, good timing for me because it was a good learning, breeding grounds for what I was able to do, you know, later. Well, I mean, how else are you going to learn too? Right. These are things that people don't, they can't teach you that. Right. It's so true. You know, and people are always like, man, like they ask about when I was homeless and that kind of thing. I was like, honestly, you know, it was the best as I get older, you know, what older people say, there's like hindsight is twenty twenty. So looking right. back on it, I recognize how important that was for me to even achieve success, to have moments of quote unquote failure like that, to kind of like groom me. And what support was offered to you during that time to get you back on your feet? Oh, there was a lot of support. You know, that's one thing I've always thought about my life. And I believe that that is divine. You know, I believe that's something beyond me that kind of is always reaching to push me and help me in the direction I'm supposed to go. And so even during that time when I was homeless, you know, like like I said, the Covenant House was a huge help for me during that time. And the people who worked there just uh, helping me navigate being homeless, you know, and being young and not understanding the world. And then there were a guy by the name of Eric Best, who I know to this day, and every time I get to talk about this, I always bring up his name because he offered me a job when I didn't have a permanent address, things like that, or ID. It's really hard to, when you're in situations of being homeless, like, and you really want to work and build yourself up. It's like, well, I don't have a place of residence and I don't have an ID. 
you know, somebody taking that chance on you and like, okay, I'll give you an opportunity so I can make money to get an ID to get a place. So there was a lot of that that happened from the time that really like just kept helping me move forward and not give up. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I feel like as a society, there's a lot of shame and judgment attached Mm -hmm. to someone who is homeless or incarcerated or even children who are in inner city schools. Right. But I feel like rather than judge them, maybe see if we can do something to help them instead of just assuming they're going to end up on drugs or something else. And to those people who are experiencing hardship for them to know that you don't need to stay there. Right. That it does take work, but you can move forward. There really are people out there who have that heart and that mindset. You know, unfortunately, there's the other, but I experienced a lot of people during that time who did give me opportunity to better my situation and took a chance on me. I, you know, I try to definitely reciprocate that whenever I'm put in that position because I know how important it was for me. I mean, it could just make that one person giving you that chance when everybody else is like, no way. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. So your faith is basically your compass through life. What strengthens your faith when going through challenging times like being homeless and also processing grief of your siblings? Yeah, my faith is definitely my compass. You know, it was something that was kind of established in me when I was young. And then, you know, I just kind of learned more and grew in what I believed as I got older. But like how it keeps me grounded and helps in those situations is because I put it to the test and it gets put to the test and it has never failed me. It just hasn't. And it doesn't mean everything goes my way. You know what I'm saying? It doesn't mean everything always goes the way that I want it to or plan, but it it hasn't failed me in the sense that like it always directs me in a path that helps me become a better person. For me, ultimately, that's what I want to do in life. I want to be the best I can be. And I want to promote that in others, you know what I'm saying? So my faith helps me do that. And it puts me in situations to do that. And sometimes, you know, you have to be put in situations in order to, you know, you don't get refined without fire. You purify gold by putting it through the fire. So sometimes you have to go through the fire to get to where you want to go and who you want to be. It's like mining diamonds too. It doesn't, it's not sparkly right away. Yeah. It takes pressure. It does. It takes pressure. And how else are you going to Again, it's one of those things, how else are you going to learn unless you go through struggles? Because if everything was perfect all the time, you wouldn't learn anything. Right. Absolutely. And I'm also glad that you mentioned that things might not look the same as you were expecting or praying for, but that it always works out the way it's supposed to. That one to me is a big one. It's funny because when I was young and I was growing up, you know, you think you're going to be, I thought you couldn't tell me I wasn't going to be like the next Brian McKnight or Michael Jackson, this huge star and do all these things. And I've had definitely my success and been able to do a lot of things. Didn't play out exactly how I pictured it, but like, man, it's been beautiful. The journey has been beautiful. What I've been able to do has been awesome. And like, I feel like I'm in a position where I am the most effective. And what I mean by that is like, I think we're all crafted and designed for specific missions and things that we need to do or are supposed to do in this life. And I just think, you know, I think about the person that I am and the person I've become. It's just like, I love the positioning that I'm in. And it's not necessarily how I dreamt it, you know what I'm saying? But it's good. I live a really good, good life. It's so wonderful to see the resilience and the faith. You're not going to give up. It's like, okay, well, this didn't work. Let's try it this way. I love that about you and being able to see that in real time. Well, to me, that's the fun part. <laughs> like, that's the fun part of life, you know, and some people that might be nerve wracking, you know, everybody's journey is their own. But for me, like, 
man, I love motion. I love change. I love those kind of things. So, you know, like my life is full of all those things and I get to test things and try things and like experience things. And that's what makes me feel like, makes me feel alive. It makes me feel like I'm where I'm supposed to be. You know, it's like, it just, I don't know, that feels like life to me. Uh I get the opportunity to try all kinds of things. Oh, let me try this. Let me do music this way. Let me create something in this fashion. To me, that's the fun part of life. There's no like set way I have to do anything. You know, I get to orchestrate that. I love that outlook so much because I'm getting better now, but I was very much that nerve wracking person. I didn't have like a full freak out, but it was just like, okay, what is this? (laughs) And how do we get past this? But I also feel like every obstacle, every adversity, every challenge that we meet, we take the steps to go through it and really process and move forward. It's almost like you're equipping yourself for the next time. And so then the next time it might be a different situation. Back to that security thing. That's a really big thing for me with the tornado of 2020. Right. And then 10 days after the tornado, the pandemic started shutting everything down. In between March and May, I moved four times because of the tornado and then two flooded units. At that time, I didn't even have time to process what I just went through. It was very survival mode. But the thing I started to appreciate about a year after as I was actually getting to process was how God just ordered my steps. I didn't have to worry about, oh gosh, what do I do now? What am I going to... It was just, if I needed an apartment, it was right there. My kitchen was completely obliterated. I had no utensils. I had no pots and pans and I love to cook. So if I needed that, that was donated. Or, you know, if I needed clothes, shoes, those were donated to me. If I needed money, it was just taken care of and I didn't have to worry about it. Right. So then what I learned from that was, okay, so we're still going through this pandemic and times are still challenging, especially financially. If God took care of me during one of the most difficult times in my adult life, how is he not going to take care of me now? Absolutely. I mean, it reminds me of the scripture. He says, look at the birds that fly in the grass of the field and how I clothe them and watch after them. Like, how much more do I care about you? Like, that's one thing I definitely have experienced in my life. I've been able to really kind of, you know, rest in the fact that all things will work to my good. I believe that because it's not based solely on me, which is a, a weight off my shoulders. I don't have to get everything right. I don't have to be able to do everything like I got a God who is omnipresent and can do all things. And he's working on my behalf, even when like, you know, I'm sleeping or I'm off course, you know. Yeah. He'll line it back to where it needs to be. And that was another thing that I learned, too, was just trusting more. Right. Because obviously I trusted God. My faith was pretty strong, I thought. But there was still that need to control. I'm very self-sufficient. So it's like, let's fix this. Right. And some things you just can't fix or even move forward by yourself. Which is very true. That's the leveling up of the faith. It's funny because I think a lot of us do that in some regards. We're like, oh, I'm trusting and I have faith here. But there's still these areas where we feel like we have to have the control or we exercise our control so much until it kind of gets obliterated. And then you're like, oh, I don't have any control of this. Yeah. Or it just gets messy and you're just like, what do I do now? And then even in moments of, a lot of times, I don't know if you do this, but I'll get like, okay, God, but how sure are you that you need me to do this? (laughs) (laughs) To someone who's going through hard times, because let's be real, who isn't right now, what would you say to them? 
Man, I would say take this opportunity to do what we just talked about, exercise that faith and that trust, because a lot of the situation that's going on now is beyond our control. A virus that's spreading and and people out of jobs, all these kind of crazy natural disasters happening. These things are like beyond our control. And so it's a great time to really put those things to the test. It kind of forces us to do that anyway. But as you're doing it, just kind of take inventory on how God is working and what he's going to do and then retain that. I tell myself this and I tell friends of mine all the time, it's just like we go through these things in life and then like they work out. And then the next moment we get into something else, we're like distraught again. Like, look what was done before. Look what you came through before. And I, I have so many experiences like that throughout my life. It literally probably had to be a meteor hitting the planet for me to even bat my eye now. So it's just (laughs) because it's like, you know what? I've seen so much and I've been through so much and it's always worked out. You know, like I said, not always the way I wanted it to, but I'm here. I'm healthy. It's going to be all right. And now you're getting the chance to help other people feel that way. Right. One of my favorite things that you've been doing is your Motivation Monday videos. What inspired you to start doing those? You know, I think my natural disposition is like a guy who's the glass is half full. I realize that for some people that doesn't come as easy. For me, I've always been like that. Even as a kid, I've always kind of seen more of the silver lining to most things. So when people are in despair or depressed or going through those things, I naturally gravitate to that and want to show them what I see. I'm like, no, but look at this. And I want to do it in a way not to like act like I'm better. I got any kind of monopoly on anything over anybody, but just to help bring them comfort. I want to bring comfort to people. And so I just started doing it because I saw, you know, like motivation money became like a hashtag thing. I was like, oh, I can do that. Like that's something I could add to what I do and just put it out there in the world. And I started doing it. And then like people, you know, if I missed a day, you know, I get all these DMs, people like, well, <laughs> You didn't do a Motivation Monday today, so it became this thing. Like, it's like, well, I better, people are paying attention, so I better keep doing this. And then I just always am looking for ways to level up. You know, the next thing people are like, you should do like life coaching. And I was like, I really (laughs) don't have time to add anything else to my plate. And then, you know, during the pandemic, when 2020 hit, I was just kind of just sitting around taking like courses online and doing stuff. I was like, man, I could create a digital life coaching course like that, which is something I could put out in the world that hopefully would help people, but I wouldn't necessarily have to like sit down day in and day out with different people because I just didn't have the time to do that because I'm still a musician first. And that's kind of how, you know, Motivation Monday turned into the Good Good Life coaching course. Just on a personal note for the Motivation Monday videos, those really got me through 2020 because back to feeling safe and security and through processing all of that, those are deep core values. So when I didn't have that, plus the uncertainty of the pandemic, my mental state was not good. Right. And just every Monday knowing that there's going to be this fun little video and it's like a minute. It's not even like, right. it's not like I have to sit there for 30 minutes to listen, right. you know, because sometimes you're just not in the mental state to do that. But just these quick little videos really got me through 2020. Well, that's awesome. That means a lot to me. And I always do like a minute because I'm ADHD for real. It's like, I, I can't <laughs> sit and do anything for longer than a minute. So I'm just like... When I watch myself talking for like 10 minutes, it's like, no, let me, let me just sum this up in one minute and put it out in the world and hopefully it does some good. Oh, that's so funny that you mentioned that because I was going to ask you, do you go back and listen to your videos? 
Occasionally I do. Like sometimes people will send one back to me. They said, you know, really helped them or like meant something to them. They were like, man, I was really going through this. And then like literally on my feed, you come up and say this, you know, that stuff is really cool. But I'm like, I'm getting them all the time. That's not me. That's God is always bringing things to my mind and put me in situations that are showing me You know, I could do a motivation Monday every single day, multiple times a day, because when I'm out or experiencing life, I feel like he's showing me something or telling me something like, hey, do this or like learn this or share this. Here's to the good, good life. Cheers to that. I'm back with Damien Horn. Let's talk about the good, good life. First, what is your definition of what it means to live a good, good life? For me, the good, good life is living a life of purpose and passion and one that is under the the leadership of God and what he's designed for me. And the thing about when I talk about the good, good life, like, you know, discovering God, discovering purpose and finding opportunities to live that out. Scripture talks about us getting a good day's working and then finding relationship with God and with man. Those are pretty much the strongest things we can have in life. Everything else is icing on the cake, the big house, the big cars, the nice material things. You know, those things can be nice, but don't necessarily equate, in my opinion, to the good, good life. Like I really believe in strong, healthy relationships, you know, being connected to people, also having purpose and service in life, and then being passionate about something in life, you know, and having a why and a want for waking up every day. Which is so important. Yeah. Especially these days where there's a lot of unknown and you could just be like, I don't want to deal with it. I just want to stay in bed all day. And I think that it's healthy to allow yourself time to do that, but also to know that there is hope and that you can move forward. I agree. And I like what you said too, because it's it's important to know, like some people think I'm just like this happy, positive guy all the time. And that's not the case. You know what I'm saying? It's not. But I will say this. I'm happy and positive probably 85 to 90% of the time where I choose to be the way I've constructed my life to promote that. But it doesn't mean like I don't have down days and I don't have moments where I feel confused and lost and sad and those things. But I know ultimately I don't want that to make up the bulk of what my life experience is, my human experience is. So it's just like, I believe we can construct that. You know what I'm saying? I believe we're allowed and given the tools to construct what our good, good life is. And that's kind of what I talk about in the course. You know, I talk about tangible things that I've done to take a life of being physically and sexually abused and watching death all around me and being homeless and turning it into a life that I can say, oh, this is a good, good life. I think there's ways of doing that. And it's not something I I learned necessarily in school or anything. It's just from life experience. I I start to recognize patterns. I'm big about observing and watching life. I always am very like mad scientist about (laughs) my own life. You know what I'm saying? Like I'll test things and try things. And then I just, I analyze the data and I'm just like, oh, this does not work for me. Or I can watch somebody else's life and be like, oh, that wouldn't work for me. Is, you know, I take that inventory and then I just try to start applying things that I see in my life that I feel like will cultivate that. And that's why I feel like I was able to get to, you know, what I believe to be my good, good life. I want to go back to something you said about being sexually abused. How do you even begin to process that and move forward from that? 
I mean, that, that is a really good question. You know, it happened when, when I was really young. So you're, you're at a point in your life where you're vulnerable and you're kind of just at the victim of the situation and what's going on. But for me, it just took, it took years. First, it took facing it as myself, just internally dealing with it. And what I mean by that is like, one of the things you do as a defense mechanism, or at least I did as a child, was like you just push it down and you can almost like wipe it out of your mind so far down that like this is not happening to me. People are not dying around me. I'm not being abused. You know, you can almost push those things so far down that like they don't exist. So the first thing for me was just like when I got older, I was seeing how I was having really hard times in relationships. Intimacy was very like tough for me. And so I'm like trying to figure out why is that the case, you know, and like I said, because of my mind and how I am about testing things and trying to figure things out, it caused me to start like doing self inventory. Why am I like this? Why do I respond in this manner to this? And then mm-hmm. it started bringing up these thoughts and these memories and these feelings and these things that happen. It's like, oh, okay, well, this is probably some unresolved stuff I haven't dealt with. I've been to counselors before and things like that. I think each person's journey is different with that. And it's hard to really pinpoint. It's like, oh, this is the one thing you should do or you can do or have to do in order to heal that process. You know, the first thing is you have to face it. Yeah. And one of the things for me was like facing it, recognizing what was happening and what happened. It's weird how like if something like that happens to you when you're young, you take on the responsibility like, oh, it's my fault. I made this happen. Mm -hmm. And it was weird. And so I had to, you know, forgive myself and be like, hey, you're not at fault here. You were a child. And so once I did that and then like, man, you know, my healing always comes from God. I just always am like talking to God on like, how do I release this and let this go? Honestly, once I faced it and then like became more comfortable with opening up about it, it became healing, you know, and I always, you know, say to people like, man, if you're struggling with anything, it can seem like the scariest thing to do, but like opening it up and sharing that. And you have to be careful with who you share with because, you know, absolutely, that's important as well. But finding a safe place to share these things and open up about that thing is the beginning of healing. At least it was for me. Oh my gosh, that just gave me chills because- You're so right. We're thankfully in a generation where, because previous generations would just stuff it down. So that's what we learned to do. Any kind of, you know, heavy emotion, like anger and anxiety, you were just like, oh, it's really not that bad. Just get over it. There's all these things that are said to us. And so we're like, oh, if we feel angry, that's bad. If we feel sad, that's bad. Confused, lost, you know, all these things. But it always comes back out. And a lot of times it'll come out sideways. And I love the gift that you have to be able to examine yourself to be like, why does this keep happening to me? Why do I feel this way? There has to be a root cause. And for you to do that, a lot of people don't know how to do that, which is why, you know, the support of counselors and different things like that is really pivotal for them. Yeah. It's like you said, I definitely grew up in the school of where like, you know, just as a man, as a black man growing up in the situation I grew up in, everything was about like, you have to be tough. You can't be emotional. You can't allow emotions to run you. So anytime you feel any of that kind of thing, you squelch it, you you push it down and you just, Mm -hmm. you fight through, which honestly, you know, saved my life in certain circumstances, but you know, and in other things, it caused me harm. You kind of have to find the balance of it. And I'm so grateful that our generation... We have a lot more resources now, and it makes me really happy that a lot more people are talking about their mental health, especially with this prolonged pandemic. 
you know there's a lot of people shoving things down because they just cannot process it right now. Right. We're still in survival mode. And so just knowing that there's options out there, there's support. We have to ask for that support. Mm -hmm. I feel that that's, that was one of the things I learned was people are not mind readers. So if you're not sharing that you're struggling with something, they're not going to know that you need help. Right. Obviously, when the tornado happened, I wasn't even trying to ask for help, but I recognized very quickly I couldn't do it by myself. And once I said, this is what I'm going through, this is what I'm facing, everybody, like even people out of the woodworks I hadn't talked to for years, was like, how can we help you? Right. How can we support? And it's just amazing how that, again, that's a God thing. Yeah. So for your Good Good Life course, can you talk a little bit about the structure? I know it's digital. What are the components? And then also, what do you hope people will get out of taking this course? Yeah. So the Good Good Life Life Coaching Course 101 is kind of me hitting the basic fundamental principles of what I believe has helped me secure my good, good life. And it kind of starts with an introduction. The intro is just a video of me talking about a little bit who I am. You know, I know a lot of people may come across this, don't know me or know my story. And so it's kind of me sharing that. And then it goes into, you know, what the course is all about and basically hits six fundamental focus areas, which is mind, body, spirit, career, finances, and relationships. And these areas of life where I've experienced some things that have helped me get to the place that I, I wanted to go. As you go through the course, there's 10 units and then there's lessons in each unit. There's a quiz from videos that you can watch where you retain. And then there's also worksheets where you write down like each one of them say, if we're talking about the good, good mind, I interview a friend or somebody I know who I feel like has a healthy, strong mindset. And so I interview them and actually ask them like, what are some things that you've done and techniques that you've used to keep your mind mentally strong? In that particular session, I have a friend named Marion Platt, who is a minister and a scholar, just a super smart cat. He also, you know, served in the armed forces. He's been in a lot of situations where he had to be mentally tough. And so we discussed that. And he also talked about how he struggled with depression, which is it's cool to see because people think, you know, like that's one of the things I always try to point out is that people think just because you are in a certain position, you're still human. People struggle, you know, the best of the best struggle with even some of the principles that they teach. And that's kind of what got them to that place, you know, is because they had to learn these skills in order to keep a, for Marion's case, a healthy, strong mind. And so that's kind of what the course does. I kind of give my thoughts and philosophy about each one of those things. And then I also do an interview with somebody who I feel encompasses that particular skill set. And then I do like a recap at the end. And then like there's worksheets that kind of literally get you writing out and creating your strategy on how you're going to go about achieving these things. Because I think what's important too is like we can get knowledge, but if we don't apply it, it doesn't do anything for us. And sometimes that's the hard part. That's the jumping off part is very hard. So getting people just started to write down their goals where they can see it every day, make a list. Like I'm literally at my place now looking at my wall of what I, I need to do every day and what I'm trying to achieve for this year. And then like it's in a place where I see it and I can take tangible steps every day to move closer to it. And that's what this course promotes. I love the application component because you're right. You can learn all of the things, take all of the courses, yeah. but if you don't apply them, or in some cases, at least for me, sometimes you know the knowledge, but you don't know how it applies to your life or how to apply it to your life. Right. 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 And so with programs like this, it allows them to break it down to where it's not so scary. Because what happens is if you don't know how to do something and it feels super big, you're not going to do it. 
You're absolutely right. And that's kind of what hopefully this course does for a lot of people is that, you know, it, it just helps you break it down. You know, I start off, I'm like, hey, let's build a vision board. It's a simple process and it can look however you want it. And another thing about this course is like, you get to construct your good, good life. Your good, good life is not going to look like mine. To me, like I said, motion is life. Your good, good life might be like, I got to stay snuggled under <laughs> and work from home. I don't want to really go out as much. You know, mm-hmm. like you get to construct that, but this teaches you how to like really strategize and come up with a game plan and a blueprint on how to get there. Because it's like you said, sometimes you can have all the knowledge, but you're just like, man, I don't even know how to apply those particular things to my own life and break it down in a way where I can start moving forward in the direction I want to go. Yeah. What's really amazing is you grow up thinking, oh, you got to get a nine to five job and all this stuff. We have so many more opportunities that we actually get to create our future. And I don't know about you, but that makes me feel excited. And the crazy thing, it's always been that way. You know, Uh we definitely have more tools to do that now, but it's always been that way. It's just kind of like, you know, different generations kind of have their own thing. And I know definitely when I was growing up, oh, you get a nine to five, you work, you save money, and then, you know, you retire and hopefully you have enough money, you can live on your retirement. That's never been appealing to me. Never. Which is why I became a musician. <laughs> I mean, I could never work a nine to five job. I literally <laughs> say this all the time. And my friends would make fun of me because growing up, you know, I would get jobs while I was in high school and stuff. And I could not keep a nine to five job. Mm-mm. It's just like I couldn't do it. I would get fired all the time. I got <laughs> fired from every job. I just couldn't do it because it wasn't, you know, people started thinking like there was something wrong with me. But I, I just felt like, man, like it's got to be something different out there. There's got to be other people like me and there's got to be a way to get to something different. That's why music has always been appealing to me outside of just loving it, just the way that like the freedom of doing it based on my emotion and what I'm passionate about and the skill sets that I have. Nine to five, you know, with my ADHD and (laughs) need to be moving and constantly changing wasn't working. So instead of just trying to fit into that mold, it's like, man, maybe I can construct my own life and how I want that to see. Absolutely. Just create your own mold. Yeah, yeah. That can just be for you. I have mostly been self-employed, but there were three years in my life where I did the nine to five thing and nine to three thing. I got really lucky. One of those jobs was being a backstage tour guide for the Ryman. So yeah, that's an amazing job to have. If you're going to have a nine to five job, get something like that because it was actually really fun. The only thing I didn't like about that was the commute because it's downtown. It was always under construction. It was just a huge time commitment. In addition to the hours I was keeping, I'd be there nine to 10 hours just working. And then you'd have the morning commute and then the afternoon commute, which was even worse. There were just days where I would be like, even though I was having fun, it was like, I could be so much more productive with my time if I was the one to create my own schedule. I left the Ryman in 2017, where in 2022, I'm very close to being able to have complete time freedom with no other outside commitments. And I want to create the life that, like, what do I feel like doing? And I want my daily life to reflect that and nothing else. And that's cool. And I think we can all get to that point because I do believe there's, because we're all constructed so differently and we have different passions and goals and ideas, you know, we can find those things within our own life and there'll be a place for that for everybody. It's just, you know, it does take work and effort and it is a risk, but I tell people there's nothing in life that's not a risk. We take risk every second of every day. Some appear less risky and some are less risky, but there's a risk in all that we do. So I would rather risk, put my risk in doing something I'm passionate about that I love and enjoy doing. 
to me, if I was making $30,000 a year doing music would be way more successful than me making $50,000 a year as a plumber. Nothing against plumbers. This is not what I'm passionate about. It's just about finding, you know, like what I feel like you're designed to do, what your purpose to do, what you're passionate about, and you got to enjoy it. I just don't want to wake up every day dreading doing what I do. And I haven't done that since I was pretty much, you know, in high school. After high school, it was just like, nope, I'm not doing that. I have to figure this out. That's amazing. I wish everybody had that. I do too. That's what I want for everyone. It would just be a happier society, a happier world, you know, everybody knowing that they can. And the nine to five structure might be their thing. It's not for everyone, but you know, if that's what you enjoy, great. That's awesome. But I also feel like the older I get, I don't want to waste any time. I don't want to be stuck at work all day, miserable, just basically doing it for the money, which isn't always that great anyway. So why not create something that you are going to enjoy? And time is so valuable. I mean, it's one of the most valuable things that we have. We can't get it back. So you got to make sure whatever you're spending your time on is worth that. Mm -hmm. So obviously you wear many hats, musician, singer, songwriter, entertainer, motivational speaker, and now life coach. Do you have a favorite? I'm always going to be a musician at heart. It was my first love. It's where I feel the most freedom, the most hey, I will make money playing music or I won't make money playing music, but I will always play music. It's just the way that it is. I think that's definitely the core of me, but that's just the tool. I think the the ultimate thing is that I love helping people. I love that above everything. You know, when you think about like, what do you want to do with your life? I want to help others. I want to make others' lives better. That's what I want to do. You know, music was my first tool in being able to do that. Acting has been able to help me to do that. Doing a life coaching course helps me do that. So however that plays out, that's ultimately what I want to do. And I think that's so wonderful that you have so many, it's like multifaceted. So it's like, you're not just helping people in one way. Right. I'm just always looking for what's another way I can help somebody. You know, I'll be always in pursuit of that. And anytime an opportunity comes my way, it's all based under what my purpose is. I believe that's what I'm here to do, to encourage, inspire, and motivate others and help direct them toward purpose and God. And so anytime, I, however that looks, you know, if I have to be a plumber, I'll do it. <laughs> that is helping people. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> but thankfully, he hasn't made me do that yet. <laughs> You're like, I'll do it, but there's all these other options. Let's try those first. <laughs> right, right. Right. Let's try those first. So outside of helping people, what are some things that you enjoy doing? I love entertainment. I love movies. I love concerts. I love basketball. Even being a musician and entertaining people, there's a pressure that comes with that, that you don't have when I can just go relax at a movie or go play a basketball game or, you know, those kind of things. So that's a different kind of outlet for me. Well, and I also think with self-employment, I think it's even more important to find those moments of joy because I'm of the mindset, if I fuel myself up with the things that I enjoy doing first, before I try to help other people, then I'm going to be even more effective when I'm helping people. Absolutely. You got to have that balance. Well, it's kind of like a gas tank, you know, it's like what fuels you up because what happens when you end on empty, the car stops. Right. So if you're on fumes all the time, you're perpetually exhausted, you don't feel well, how are you going to help other people and show up with your best self for other people if you're not taking care of yourself? 
That's right. And that's important. And I talk about that in the course, but it's like one of the number one things that I do that people might not realize for myself because I'm always around people and engaging with people, but I'm very strategic and intentional about my alone time. I definitely get energy alone. I don't get energy when I'm around people. It's more of a giving of energy. Yes. And then so in order for me to be at my full capacity, I have to get alone and do maybe some of those things like we talked about, catch a movie or go play ball or like shut off my phone. You know, over the years, I've learned I had to do that because I I can tell when when I'm running on fumes, like you were saying. And so I'm very intentional about that. Yeah, because it's like either burn out and crash or continue to fuel yourself and lessen those moments where you feel burnt out. Right. Because that's not helping anyone, least of all you. Then you get to see the the grumpy, incredible Hulk side of Mr. D. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to do that. No, you don't. And to be fair, too, I have not seen that side good. of you. So <laughs> I feel like if it's been 20 years and I haven't seen that, we're doing pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's been there. I got a grumpy side. I do. I think we all do, you know, and it's about managing that and making sure that we don't hit those moments as often. Absolutely. Yeah, that's exactly right. What is your favorite compliment you've ever received? Wow. The thing that comes to my mind is I've written and played songs. I've been on stage and there's been people who either inboxed me or came up to me personally or sent me an email or whatever the case may be. And was just like, you know, I was in a dark place and, you know, I didn't know if I wanted to keep going. And I, I heard one of your songs or you sang something this night or you said something to me. And it, it changed the way that I thought about that situation or it helped encourage me or push me or I'm definitely a believer. I'm, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And people have told me like, you know, I'm not a believer, but man, if Christ is the way that you are to people, then I can get down with that. So that to me is the biggest compliment I can get, you know, because my goal is to be Christ-like. So when people say stuff like that or say something I've said or done that's helped them, that's like the biggest compliment. Because to me, that is what I believe my purpose to be. So when somebody tells you that, it's like, oh, I'm walking in purpose. Yeah. That's got to be the ultimate compliment right there, because as Christians, that's what we want to model. Right. You know, right. it's not about shoving it down people's throats right. and getting them to believe what we believe and know to be true. But it's modeling that. So when they see that and they they see the resilience and they see the optimism and how you're just a jolly person, right. you know, most of the time, right? Right. Most and so <laughs> because you are human, <laughs> but to see that and if they want that in their life, then it's like, if I was in a dark place and I looked at you and I would have been like, what is he doing that I need to be doing? Right. What's a compliment you can give yourself right now? A compliment I can give myself. I'm compassionate. I'm a compassionate person. Like I truly do care about people. And it's not for any kind of show or anything. It doesn't have to be about anything other than if I recognize somebody in need. I feel the burden of others. Well, thank you so much for being on my podcast. It's cool to catch up like this. So thank you. Thanks for tuning in to the Finding Strength of Heart podcast. Did you enjoy this episode? Please let me know by leaving a rating and review. As always, you can connect with me on Instagram or Facebook at Finding Strength of Heart or via email at findingstrengthofheart at gmail.com. Until next time, take care of you and we'll chat soon.